0: Welcome to the Agents of Innovation Podcast, where we feature conversations with entrepreneurs, philanthropists, and artists. Hello, and welcome back to the Agents of Innovation Podcast. I am your host, Francisco Gonzalez, and I do want to... uh, uh, acknowledge the fact we've had a little bit of a hiatus on the Agents of Innovation podcast um, about a month or so now uh, since the last episode. I do apologize, but um, it was really because I was a little more optimistic I'd be able to upload some podcasts while I was traveling. I was actually away from my home in Orlando, Florida for four weeks, out and about uh, my first visit ever to Central Europe. Um, had been to Europe a few times before, but This was my first time, uh, really, to the more central areas. Uh, Went to Munich, Germany. uh, Went to Salzburg and Vienna in Austria. Then Bratislava, Slovakia, Budapest, Hungary, and Prague in the Czech Republic. And then I was fortunate enough to get to go to London um, for a business-related trip and then took a cruise back on the National Review cruise um, all the way from Southampton, England, to Brooklyn, New York. So it was really amazing to come into the... Uh, Harbor there at about 5 in the morning and yes, I did get up that early to see the Statue of Liberty as it welcomed us back to the United States and It was just really neat to think about the millions of immigrants that came in uh, through that same harbor in Much rougher passage than we had it on the Queen Mary II to uh, see and be welcomed to a new land the United States of America with lots of great opportunity and great opportunity for entrepreneurs and innovators Uh, Many have come through those shores. And today we're going to hear uh, an interview that I actually did back in July when I was in Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, this is with Mark Cleveland. He is what I would call a serial entrepreneur. Uh, You're going to hear an uh, an interview that we did where uh, we actually talked about a new venture he's launching called Hitch. Um, And so when you're listening to this interview, um, I want you to know that Hitch has now launched. So when we uh, interviewed, him um, it had not yet launched, you can go to Hitch, that's H-Y-T-C-H, hitch.me, and sign up uh, for the app that he's talking about there. I think you're going to really enjoy it, but Mark uh, has done many entrepreneurial adventures over his lifetime, and he's uh, going to tell us about some of those, and also about what he's doing now with Hitch. So again, visit us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you can find it all um, by just searching Agents of Innovation on all of those areas. On Instagram, we're at innovation Podcast, And um, I will look forward to hearing from you in any of the comments on any of those uh, social media platforms. And of course, I put a blog up for all these episodes at franciscogonzalez.us forward slash podcast. So uh, look forward to hearing from you. And thank you again for listening in to the Agents of Innovation podcast. Um, and of course, at the end of this episode... We also have a brand new song by our friend Jordy Searcy. So Jordy was on episode 30 of the Agents of Innovation podcast. And now uh, on episode 31, we're going to listen to his new single, which you can check out um, on iTunes and, st- and, and all the places where you can find Jordy Searcy. Um, but uh, we'll hear a new song from him. And thank you again for listening to the Agents of Innovation podcast. Well, I am sitting here in Nashville, Tennessee, and I want to welcome to the Agents of Innovation podcast, Mark Cleveland. Mark, thank you for joining us.
1: Great to have you here.
0: Well, um,
1: I'm saying that because you're in my home right now, so it's great to have you here. Yeah,
0: in your home here in Nashville, Tennessee, um, and and in your actual home. But uh, uh, you um, are uh, just, uh, I guess what I'd call a serial entrepreneur. I mean, you're just constantly uh, building businesses, uh, uh, creating some... some uh, some success and uh you earned the um uh next award for entrepreneur of the year presented by the nashville chamber and the entrepreneur center of nashville um in uh, what was that 2015
1: yeah 2014 i carried the sash and tiara for a year
0: yeah there you go and uh and so uh lots of different awards uh one of your businesses swiftwick was honored in 2014 with the best in business award uh given by the nashville business journal so Um, you, uh, but you've got quite, quite a story. I want to kind of get into, uh, uh, what brought you, uh, to where you're at today and, and some of your next, uh, next moves, but, uh, let's talk about kind of some of your early ongoing, um, as an entrepreneur, what, 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 how did you get going as a young person?
1: Oh, wow. Um, now you're going to do a super flashback here. Uh, well, right out of college, I started my own satellite communications installation and service business, uh, We put the big satellite dishes in people's backyards when uh, before a lot of the modern technology we take for granted today. So I've been in the technology telecommunication space uh, ever since and it started because I was on a mission and here I am, a starving college student trying to put myself through school at the University of Oregon and uh, the guy who I was working for, who was an early innovator in this space, uh, decided that he wasn't gonna pay for the sales commissions and I, I was in a, a mission moment right there. I, I thought that that was pretty unfair and boy, I'm going to start my own company and put them out of business. You know? <laughs> and of course, we know that uh, he, they, they put themselves out of business, but uh, I got very motivated to I borrowed $1,500 from my girlfriend and bought a satellite system and sold it and bought another one and sold it. About eight years later, I had started a software development company at that same window of time uh, to take care of the of the tracking and systems needs of, of my business. And I sold them both, and I went on to my next mission.
0: And when you built those businesses, uh, were you still out in Oregon?
1: Yeah, absolutely. In the Pacific Northwest, uh, it was a great place to live and grow up.
0: Yeah, it's a beautiful place. I was there. Actually, my, my brother's wife uh, is from Oregon, and she's a big Ducks fan. She didn't go there, but her dad actually is a is a professor there. Um, and uh, but anyway, we were out there. They got married in Oregon, uh, uh, just just about forty five minutes uh, to the uh, east of Eugene, in a beautiful area. Beautiful area.
1: Sure. The sisters are up in the up in the high desert.
0: Uh, no, it was actually still, um, it was right off the river there. Um, I know we did some whitewater rafting the day before the wedding, and uh, it, was, it was a beautiful, beautiful scene.
1: I'm just getting back from a trip to Oregon. We went down the McKinsey River with a bunch of my friends and business partners, and yeah, it's, uh, I still have great connections and Oregon family there, and uh, apparently you do too.
0: Yeah, um, uh, so what, um, when, what brought you to Nashville? How long have you been here?
1: I was recruited uh, to move to Nashville and become ultimately president of a company that did uh, business process outsourcing for America's largest fleets. We did billing, uh, payroll processing, uh, compliance documentation, and invoicing. uh, And we basically could expedite that process, turn the original documents into images, and then workflow the uh, results back to the fleet in in the the most efficient way possible. And I did that for five years and in the process, of course, you know, you're taking very good care of your fleet customer. Uh, if that record doesn't turn into an invoice, they don't get paid. If if that compliance document doesn't become the safety uh, document that it's intended to be, uh, well then somebody's got a fine to pay. And there's really no room for error in that business and I loved it. <clears throat> it was a high trust, high faith environment and We had about 70% of the largest trucking companies in America uh, turn their internal processing over to our company. I eventually sold the company together with my partners. Um, We sold that business and then it was ultimately acquired by Xerox and they still operate today and do a great job for their customers.
0: Wow, fantastic. And then what was your next move from there?
1: Um, I didn't want to travel anymore, you know. So I, I was traveling all the time. I decided I would start another company, and in this case, uh, I, I acquired a company called Hobby Lobby, which uh, did radio controlled airplanes and 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 high quality radio controlled hobby products. And um, I started a company called Swiftwick, which uh, our big idea there was to make a sock that won't wear out here in the United States and back in 2007 we were we were really focused on manufacturing in the United States sort of before it became um, a a more well explored topic like it has been recently Uh, because I believed after five or six years of outsourcing uh, and being in that business that I needed to see you know could I could I enter the manufacturing sector and use all my skills and challenge my experiences to to construct and build something in the United States that was world-class and that became Swiftwick socks
0: so you guys do all the manufacturing here in the states that's
1: true and we took us about three or four years but we ultimately got the entire supply chain all the raw materials and everything that goes into a Swiftwick manufactured in the United States
0: so you actually uh, handed me uh, uh, right before the interview here um, one one part of the products of Swiftwick and these are the the graduated compression socks that are great for travel. Um, tell me a little bit about these and uh, why you think I should wear them before I get on my <laughs> plane today.
1: Well, I care about you, Francisco, so I want you to be healthy. And when you get on an airplane and you're sitting at your desk or sitting at your table, or if you're like many Americans and you find yourself a kind of stationary for an extended period of time, one of the things that happens is that your body can react to that by having a blood clot develop in your lower extremity. It's called a deep vein thrombosis. And no one likes that term, and no one likes it when it happens. But one of the best ways to combat it is to wear medical compression socks, um, <clears throat> which, which improve your circulation and, and reduce that risk. And so uh, I just, uh, I, you'll feel better, too. It'll make you 5% smarter by the time you arrive at your destination.
0: Well, you know, I, I do a lot of running. Will it, will, once I get off the plane, will it, will it help me run better?
1: Uh, well, that's how we got discovered by athletes is using a, a proven medical compression uh, technology and sort of how your body and your physiology reacts to that. Uh, athletes back in 2007 weren't really considered, uh, considering the competitive advantage of wearing compression socks. And now it's more mainstream. So we feel, uh, we feel like you as a runner or a cyclist or a golfer, um, any, any athletic activity benefits from wearing compression socks.
0: Now, when did you start this company?
1: It was January of 2007, uh, been a great experience, and that business, I'm, I'm not active day-to-day in that, that company today, I'm uh, an investor-owner now, uh, sort of graduating through that process. Uh, I like the idea of starting companies and building companies, and I have a, about a seven-year clock, <laughs> so, oh, and for all your listeners who think entrepreneurship and success happens overnight, it's it's, it's absolutely true. It just takes about five years to get there overnight.
0: Okay. That makes sense. Uh, so, uh, it, let's go back to the Hobby Lobby story, uh, because that sounds like a company that's familiar to most people, but your company was not the Hobby Lobby probably people are thinking of.
1: No. Um, and the folks out in Oklahoma city run a fantastic, uh, business. It's one of the largest privately held companies in America and, uh, they're ethical um, well thought they're 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 the the way that the marketplace looks at that brand they're well thought of, and we shared that brand for thirty years. I actually bought the company uh they probably should have bought it, but I bought the company with an appreciation that we were sharing the hobby lobby brand name um, and we weren't selling silk flowers or furniture we sold radio control hobby products to a very um, specific niche. And so for a long time, you know, both companies could say that they're, that, that we weren't interfering with one another. My company had the, the first trademark. My company had the first use. It's pretty unusual circumstance, really. Um, and then over time, as they built 19 stores in Tennessee and as their brand continued to grow and, and we worked together cooperatively, but there became a point with... Uh, a number of the socials, uh, a number of the social uh, topics that that drive controversy today. Um, you know, my Hobby Lobby is an equal opportunity employer. You know, that's what I got to say about that. You know, and uh, that that brand confusion eventually really affected my company. And so, once again, it it it, it was a sale ultimately of of a brand name, and, and they they helped us become Hobby Express. Uh, which has been a great experience, a lot of transition. Moving from a, a well-known brand to a brand-new brand is is a challenge. Uh, branding in general is a challenge for entrepreneurs and for business people, and I I, uh, I can say now that I took a, a successful brand, a successful negotiation with a $3 billion company, and I survived.
0: Yeah, that's that's pretty incredible. You know, I could imagine, I know there, there's probably legal things you probably don't or can't discuss um, regarding that brand name, but the fact that you were probably you know, sitting on the other side of a table from, you know, a multi-billion dollar Union, company, yeah. uh, tr- uh, negotiating the name and, and what they were going to, uh, do to, um, to resolve that with you and, 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 and all that. So congratulations. Uh, so it's now hobby express and are you still uh, involved with hobby express?
1: Yeah, I have a tough time selling things that I've invested this much of my energy into. And so, but, but I'm active in that business and have a great team. Um, Hobby Express really helps people enjoy the thrill, the fun of flying, and, and we're building some science, technology, and math curriculum now around radio-controlled airplanes. Just launched a Kickstarter that'll be over now by the time this conversation is public, but um, yeah, it's, it, you gotta stay on top of technology in every business. This business happens to rely heavily on technology and, and engineering, and um, things are moving fast.
0: So uh, one of your more recent projects that's about to launch as we uh, p- uh, put out this episode is Hitch. Uh, that's H-Y-T-C-H, right?
1: Yeah, Hitch, H-Y-T-C-H dot me. And we have been, once again, this, this isn't just happening like bang. This is a collaborative effort. It's taken two years now uh, to develop our first app, which we've released and got a lot of uh, feedback And our second app, uh, our new platform, is coming out uh, about the time that that someone might be listening to this. You could find it at hitch.me. But what we're doing is we're defending clean air and defeating traffic using technology that's available today and uh, incentives in order to try to get more people to share the ride. So we have a...
0: So by incentives, you're you're incentivizing uh, the... The consumer, in a sense, or the, the, the traveler. Is that what, you're, that what you mean? Yeah,
1: it's a it's a bold idea. Most of us carpool or ride share more than we think. Uh, a, an Uber or a Lyft is a ride share. Going in the bus is a way to relieve traffic congestion. Uh, sharing rides, uh, parking rides, all these things that, that we can choose to do on occasion, every single day, or when it's convenient for us. This is... The moment at time in which one vehicle is not on the road that might otherwise be, and so our mission is really to try to get two people in a car, and, and it's as simple as that. So how do we do it? Well, we've we've been through the matching thing, we've been through the analysis thing, and and we've come up with a tool that companies can use that they can put incentives in the top of the funnel, and then when their employees share rides, whether it's for lunch or their long distance commute, uh, whether it's with another employee or the employee of the business next door, it's friends and neighbors and coworkers who come together and use the Hitch app to network and uh, track their rides, and then we pay you as a driver. Let's let's just use a number because the number will vary based on participation of a company or a community or a state. But our first our first customer is paying a nickel a mile to all their employees who share rides or who give rides to uh, one another and we're developing programs where they are providing tax incentives ultimately Uh, so we're we're super excited about the fact that while everyone else is trying to um, be worried about autonomous vehicles or ride sharing in this in these epic battles between uber and lyft that kind of thing we we're just going to uh, become the universal platform for rewarding people who do it and and here's the secret the secret sauce is this um, every time you and I are in a car and we're we're not driving your car and my car um, we can measure that's approximately 411 grams of carbon and other ni- nitrous oxides and, and emissions that don't happen because you and I shared a ride and that has a certain value and what we figured out is a methodology for um, pushing that value back to you so we're making a marketplace in carbon credits now again it's not an overnight success i started studying the carbon credit and environmental markets related to it back in 2006 (laughs) so um, you know we we've been working on the the math and working on the structures and and the simplicity of the elegance of this idea Uh, so hard and so long that it it feels like a real complex thing, but it's real simple. I'm going to pay you to share a ride with somebody else, and I'm going to pay that somebody else who's your passenger. I'm going to pay that person too, and you are earning your own reward because the carbon credits that come from that activity are going to be monetized and pushed back into the network as a reward structure.
0: So let me ask you, uh, will, you will this work with like, ride-share companies like Uber and Lyft, for example? Like, do, do, can you tell that I'm sharing a ride with someone there, or, or how?
1: Well, you know, if you download Hitch, you're a member of Hitch, and you get paid for what you do. And if you happen to be with an Uber driver, and they have Hitch on their phone as well, then the Uber driver gets paid by Uber, and the Uber driver gets paid by Hitch, and uh, so does the passenger in this case, which is revolutionary. So, so the, yeah, so the Uber
0: driver could be my carpool buddy. You bet. What okay. Why not?
1: I mean, every ultimately every every shared ride can be tracked, can be monetized, and can the value can be pushed back to the people who are taking the time and energy to share a ride.
0: Um, so basically, Hitch is is just is connecting to different people that want to share a ride, maybe going in the same direction or something like that
1: yeah we've got uh, other apps out there who are organizing uh, mom and and parent carpools for example um, who are going to be who are using our api so that they can offer a reward system to their customers uh, ultimately if if uber and lyft listen to this podcast and decide they want us to to be their partner we i can tell you sir we have already built the api for that <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's exciting because we're not going to compete with anybody providing transportation services. We're simply going to be the environmental platform where uh, everyone gets rewarded.
0: So, have you done any specific outreach to rideshare companies like
1: Uber and Lyft? No, not yet. We we kind of want to run under the radar for a little while. But um, you know, I met with the president and the two co-founders of Lyft uh, when they came and launched their Nashville. Uh, Southeastern Service Center headquarters here and um, they're they're great people and ultimately if, if they want to share our mission we're, we're ready to partner.
0: Well very cool. Well um, yeah one thing I noticed I, I took a lift to your house actually today and uh, a lot of times when I'm traveling now even for work um, I don't even rent cars anymore because I've actually figured out it's, it's a lot more efficient and both for my time and also uh, it's usually a lot less expensive to just take an Uber or Lyft around town. And it's, honestly, uh, even where I live, uh, sometimes I decide, hey, I don't really want to f- deal with parking. I'm just going to take a Lyft or an Uber, then I don't have to use my own car. Um, so uh, I think they're, we're, we're really seeing a lot of this technology, these platforms, whether it be Uber and Lyft or whether it's Hitch now coming on board, uh, really make it more efficient for people to, to ride share, take a lot more cars off the road. You talked about clean air. I could also talk about time and traffic parking spaces. I mean, think about the amount of space uh, in downtowns and other places that, you know, um, there's just not enough space to put all these cars. So, uh, and and then the traffic getting in and getting around. But speaking of space and places in downtown uh, areas, you're also involved in a hotel project right now. Tell us a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah. 2007 was a, a explosion of creativity for me apparently, but I bought some real estate, uh, really small, odd, piece of real estate in downtown nashville because i believe in nashville just like a lot of us here we're, we're growing uh like few cities in the country we're interesting like few places in the world and uh, nashville has a brand that it, people want to be a part of and and i wanted to have a seat at the table as that evolved and developed and eventually trying to decide how could i contribute the most came upon the idea of of building a hotel which by the way there's no parking on site, and it's the very first project in Nashville proposed, and so far, I've been through the design review process and got approval for my use, which is a hotel project. It's called the Stanza Nashville, so people can look at uh, stanzanashville.com. It's inspired by the music theme of, of Nashville. It's uh, it's an auto-free zone. We, we believe people fly into the airport like you just mentioned. They, they take shared transportation to to the hotel they don't want to uh have the responsibility or the cost of a car while they're here for their bachelor party or their bachelorette party and we had 13 and a half million people come to nashville last year as business tourists and 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 certainly pleasure tourists and it's just a it's a great place to be i'm going to provide a hundred bed hotel and a place to sleep and an opportunity for you to stage your your small group and then go out and enjoy broadway
0: great so yeah what was um i mean so so first of all you mentioned you bought this real estate in
1: 2007 um doesn't seem like a smart time to buy, or was it? <laughs> yeah, well, you never know until you look back at it whether it was smart or not, but it's, it's turned out to be a good idea.
0: Yeah, well, now Nashville's, uh, it seems like Nashville's booming. You mentioned 13.5 million tourists last year. Uh, a lot of people seem to be moving here. Uh, it's growing exponentially. Um, so, I mean, what, what kind of gave you that first idea to, to be involved with the hotel? And and was when you first bought the real estate, did, were you thinking hotel, or were you, or were you just buying real estate.
1: No, I was just buying real estate. I mean, this is an example where entrepreneurship, uh, people with an entrepreneurial perspective can can thrive. Um, I bought a piece of commercial real estate and the zoning changed over that time and and it in it it's been a uh, a great learning experience. But what I was going to say is that it's such a small piece of real estate I can go 12 stories under the current zoning, and uh, it's 5,000 square foot pad, so it's like a little needle in downtown. Uh, it's going to be a very exciting p- uh, piece of architecture, and this 5,000 square foot space has 11 rooms around the rim and an open uh, common area in the center, together with a open common kitchen and staging and catering and prep space. So. Uh, each floor is going to be leased, or, or obviously, you know, consumed by a group of between eight and up to thirteen people. So, the idea is sort of a cross between animal house, hostel, and uh, destination party place, um, and then we're going to have a lot of fun with it.
0: So, people um, uh, kind of have to come in as groups for this. You'll be, like you'll, be
1: able to, yeah, you'll be able to rent one, one room like a traditional hotel, but it's going to be marketed and, and I think that the demand for hotel space is crazy in Nashville. I'm not trying to compete with destination meeting based uh, hotel spaces. I'm trying to provide the lowest cost group experience within walking distance of downtown Nashville. And so this is back to that point I was trying to make earlier about constraints. Sometimes the constraints of what you're looking at are what drive your thinking process into, well, what can I do that's 12 stories tall? I can't park a single car on the property because I consume the entire property by building something on it. Mm-hmm. And what is it? It's a destination. It can't be apartments very easily because people generally need their, their other asset they own, which might be a car. Uh, it's got to be a temporary use so by the time you get done eliminating all the things that really can't be you're you're left with some things that it could be and that required over this last two years of development that required a lot of outside the box thinking because uh, a certain a certain listener out there today is saying to you right now they're saying you're going to pay somebody to share a ride really that's ridiculous well we subsidize public transport all over the united states we pay people essentially to take public transport why don't companies and and communities come together to actually address traffic so it's a it's a different it's a different view of a universally recognized problem and in the case of a hotel why wouldn't you want to stay with all your friends that you came to nashville with and on the same floor and you're like uh, MC Hammer, man, you, you rented the whole floor, right? You're a, a lot of times people uh, appreciate that they rented the entire hotel floor as a status symbol, right? Well, for me, it's a necessity. And it's also a simplified way to take costs out of the hotel structure. So I'm gonna develop a brand here in Nashville based around Stanza, which is a, a line of poetry. It's a line of music. And uh, we've got a 12 story hotel, which there's 12 there's 12 notes in the music uh, universe. I mean, it's really uh, it's come together very nicely as a brand. And wherever you see uh, music as the base of, of another community's culture, maybe it's Memphis or New Orleans or Austin, you'll see a stanza hotel. And it's going to be uh, an interesting experience because we can take, impossibly small properties, throw away the assumption that you need to have a car in order to go to a hotel. Just throw it away. As soon as you throw it away, I save 25 or 30% of the cost of construction in order to provide a parking spot for a car that, in fact, you don't need. So I can pass that savings on to the consumer, and there's no hotel anywhere in Nashville that's that's going after this style of marketplace, so... I think I'm going to be a net contributor to uh, the the housing and the entertainment and the tourist experience here in Nashville
0: great you're doing that and, and you and you seem to have found a, a niche like you said and to do that and, and also working within the constraints that were were given to you so uh, that's pretty neat uh, when do you plan to open this hotel
1: uh, we're looking at a construction start date of uh, end of this year beginning of next and I'm still in the final design phases, uh which don't seem to ever end um, but this is a this is a experience and we're trying to redefine what a hotel experience should be using technology uh, part of this development project with hitch is is making sure that i've exercised all my creativity in the technology side there's going to be an app for getting into the hotel and it's going to control access and It's going to be um, the way that you reserve your space. And um, I'm going to try to do this without using any of the infrastructure of the major hotel brands in the world. Because I'm thinking that this disintermediation that we see in every marketplace is happening in the hotel space. Great example is Airbnb and other forms of share economy uh, that, that, that any entrepreneur and most every citizen can experience today. So I don't think I'm really swimming upstream as much as it might sound, um, but it is, it's it's an exercise in creativity, and uh, those things take time. I, and Since I own the land, I'm not in any screaming hurry, so I, w- I wanna get it right.
0: Yeah, well good, uh, well, we'll look forward to, to seeing that, and maybe I'll come back here to Nashville and stay in the stanza with eight or 10 of my closest friends, so <laughs> or some new friends, who knows. Um, so anyway, uh, uh, you just, you know, you've kind of outlined a lot of different uh, Projects you you've worked on over the years, businesses you started, um, different just wide range of experiences, and, and it's and it's hard to put that all in in one episode of a podcast. Um, and so I hope people will follow your work. I know your website is markacleveland.com. They can read more about you there. But before we get going, Mark, I, I just wanted to ask you um, what as you as you think about so far where you're at in life and all the different entrepreneurial experiences that you've had. Um, what has kind of been your uh, what, what are some of the uh, connections you've made uh, in, in terms of the, the entrepreneurial experience that, uh, that that kind of you're now employing in in your current and future endeavors, but also what has kind of been like your philosophy as, as you've uh, approached different uh, sort of your entrepreneurial experience?
1: Well, that's a complex question, and I don't know there's a simple answer to that either, but um, I guess some of the core takeaways for me so far are that relationships are lifetime assets and uh, you've got to give and it's a karmic experience or a pay it forward experience but you've got to help the next generation the student the entrepreneur that's trying to get a footing and uh, try to try to create a part of the ecosystem that you're involved in. Um, I think that education is super important so I've committed myself to be a lifelong learner. Um, I, I try not to let, um, I try not to succumb to fear and I think that bravery in pursuit of mission is really important. It's really easy for people to talk you out of a line of thinking because they have a safer perspective, or they represent the, the the bulk of the thinking, and there's a reason that we just all drive our cars until uh, there's no clean air left. You know, there's a reason an iceberg broke off last week, the size of a small state, and people are just ignoring the fact that that happened. Uh, we are kind of walking around as a society in a daze, and some people entrepreneurs, political leaders, um, people of faith, have to stand up and decide to change their behavior, whether it's offering a ride as often as you can or not using a car. And I'm not anti-car, I I am anti-one person in a car, right? As much as possible, I think we need to be conserving our resources and respecting our environment. So you, I don't I don't think you can be an entrepreneur and just be all about consumption you have to be about producing um, higher quality things we should be consuming higher quality things and fewer of them when it comes to things and we should be paying closer attention to our environment and the decisions we make every day whether we're leaving the lights on or letting the water run too long in the in the lawn or it, it just doesn't matter. There's so many different examples of how we have to husband our resources, and I think when you have that attitude, you can build a company based on efficiencies, and you can build a culture in your company based on some values that that you have to evangelize. And I think we all share. And I, you know, I feel like I made this sort of a long answer, but ultimately, sticking with your mission and being brave uh, to be different and uh, following. Following the uh, the motivation that you that, that really inspired you in the first place, uh, that's important for an entrepreneur to hold on to. And we entrepreneurs have to encourage each other uh, and come together as a culture and a community to just keep on thinking outside the box and doing things differently.
0: Well, that was a fantastic answer. And uh, one of the things that you kind of alluded to there, you know, you. Do you ever think when in any of these entrepreneurial adventures you've had including some of the current ones or do people you said you know some people try to kind of push you more towards maybe the safe thing to do not the brave thing to do um, that maybe somebody says that's a crazy idea mark like that's not going to work or you know i mean who would have thought airbnb or uber these types of things that we now think about uh, you know the ultimate example steve jobs and the iphone right just kind of changed everything but what kind of things uh, you know in that space that people kind of might have said to you this is kind of crazy and like how have you how have you if if that's if that's happened you know how have you kind of reacted and how would you uh suggest others who are looking at their own ventures uh how they how they could respond to something like that
1: well i think listening to your customer is probably the most important skill you got to have it's probably the same listening to your husband or listening to your wife uh listening to your customer uh, customers don't always know what they want until they see it so you can't let them define what you're not going to do or define what you are going to do you just have to listen and then with your advisors and the people that you who's, whose opinions you respect you got to let them say that's a stupid idea that's crazy and then you got to ask why and then you know you got to they'll they'll sort through their own preconceived notions and their own fears if, if you're having a quality conversation and they will either prove to you that you, you are crazy and you need to pivot, or they will be a part of that fabric of feedback that you get to bring into your decision-making process. I mean, investors want to know that you're sound and you can make a decision, and they want to know that you'll stick with that decision and you won't just pivot, 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 you know? They also don't want you to take their investment and their confidence and run it into the wall when you had ideas and insight that suggested that you shouldn't. So listening for the right advice and um, being open to people's ideas that are contrary to yours are really, really important to arriving at the elegant, simple solution that everybody thinks, wow, that just happened overnight. But no, it didn't. It happened over a lifetime of communicating and listening and and adjusting.
0: Well, uh, thank you, Mark, for being with us on the Agents of Innovation podcast. Um, Before we go, I I mentioned MarkACleveland.com, which kind of outlines everything sort of about you and all your different projects. But uh, you're about to release Hitch, H-Y-T-C-H. Um, it's not yet out as we're interviewing, or is it?
1: Well, the app is out for matching, but the Hitch 2.0 app will be available by the time this podcast hits, and that's going to be super, super exciting. So we, like I said, we've, we've we put something out, we've learned, we've, we've um, taken all those lessons, and we're really, really proud of what we're doing.
0: And with Hitch, um, what markets will it be immediately available in?
1: Well, it's immediately supported in Nashville because that's where our resources and energy are. Um, we received a, a federal air quality and congestion mitigation grant uh, that's administered through the state of Tennessee uh, Department of Transportation. Uh, we've got a corporate sponsorship and partnership with Goodwill that we're, uh, we will have announced by the time you get done editing. That's super, super exciting. Um, so we're going to help the large employers in Nashville get their 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 teams to work more efficiently, and uh, you know it's it's going to be available in uh, North America uh, the day that it's released, and uh, we'll just we'll be hopefully we'll be making announcements about great partnerships and investments that help us scale. It's a big idea that deserves to be successful.
0: Well, it sounds like you've been full of a lot of big ideas that have been successful over the years, so we're looking forward to seeing uh, the prospects for Hitch, and maybe in a few years, come back and stay in a nice uh, Stanza Hotel here in Nashville. But thank you, Mark. I appreciate you being on the uh, Agents of Innovation podcast.
1: I appreciate you thinking about innovation, inspiration, and what comes next.
0: Great. Thanks so much.
2: I live in a city people want to move into I do all the things that people say they want to do But when the songs that we write don't shake the college student loans Everybody in town wants to move back home Dark in the city, dark, dark in the city Yeah, but there's a light on the inside, light on Dark in the city, dark, dark in the city, there's a little light on the inside, light, oh. Everybody knows her from the corner down the street Because she asks for money from everybody that she meets But no one knows the demons Putting words inside her mouth She used to be a street lamp Now her light is going out Dark in the city Dark, dark in the city Yeah, but there's a light on the inside Light Dark in the city Dark, dark in the city There's a light